since last week was Halloween, right? Uh, I, I thought it was a great opportunity to discuss the topic of spiritual spiritual warfare uh, in a short two-part series because with all the costumes and creepy decorations and scary movies and haunted houses, it's, it's, it's easy uh, for you and for me to start believing that it's all just made up, uh, that there's not real evil spirits at work in our world. But as we seen last week, the Bible, the Bible's perspective is absolutely clear. Uh, the devil is real. He's a supernatural being who seeks to deceive and twist and manipulate and distort and ultimately destroy us. And he's not alone, but rather there are many cosmic forces of darkness conspiring together to ruin us. And so let me try to make the aim, like the goal of this message, what I pray you take away tonight as crystal clear as possible. According to the Apostle Paul, there are hordes of demons working together to destroy your faith. And if you don't want to abandon Jesus, if you don't want to turn your back on the living God, if you don't want sin and evil to corrupt your life, then you must, you must put on the full armor of God. And so this whole message intends to enable, to teach, to instruct you, how do you stay faithful to Jesus? How do you stay following after him in a world of darkness and evil powers working against you? And so that's what this message is all about tonight. So let's go ahead and, and read our passage, pray and dig in. Uh, Caleb, would you read the passage for us this tonight? Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I ask now that you would grant us your Holy Spirit, that he would lead us to truth, that he would not let the devil snatch it from their hearts, uh, that he would bring it to bear on us in such a way that we are fruitful and that we are able to put on the full armor of God to take a stand, to resist the devil. So, Father, I pray by your grace and by your mercy, you would do this work um, tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so for context, all right, that is, where is this passage coming at? Uh, as I mentioned last week, this passage comes at the end. It's at the end of a letter uh, of the, the Apostle Paul wrote to a church in the city of Ephesus. And so this section, it serves as the, the conclusion or like the final message, like the final charge Paul wants to leave with these believers and these followers of Jesus. And so kind of think of it like a general of an army. army. He's sharing a final word with his troops before they go out to battle. Paul does the same here. He wants to galvanize and, and invigorate you with these words. And the primary charge, the central call he gives to these readers and to us is in verse 14. Look there with me. Paul writes, it's very simple, one word, stand, stand. And as we learned last week, when Paul calls these believers to stand, he's saying, uh, uh, take your, your place, resist, push back, hold your ground. Don't let the devil have his way with you. And then the, the rest of the passage, everything else is committed to teaching you how to stand. 
The whole rest of the passage. How does a young believer remain solid and firm as supernatural beings try to take you out? And and to answer that question, Paul's going to use this image. Uh, an image that the readers would have been very familiar with, and that is the armor of a soldier in the Roman army. Uh, So let me show you what I mean. Look at verse 14. While Paul could have just said, if you look at verse 14, put on truth, instead he says, put on the belt of truth. And while he could have just said, put on righteousness, instead he says, put on the breastplate of righteousness. And he uses this Roman soldier image because back in that day, day, Rome had the fiercest, baddest, best trained army in the world. They were crushing people. Um, And so this armor was respected and revered and it it brought images to the, the reader's mind of strength and fortitude. And so by connecting God's armor with this visual image of a Roman soldier armor, Paul was trying to illustrate for us how powerful how robust, how strong God's armor is. So by the time we put all this gear on, we are ready for war. I mean, he looks ready for it, right? I mean, I wouldn't want to see him. Um, Now, there are many different ways we could organize these six individual pieces of armor listed in this passage, but for tonight, we're going to group them into two categories. So two categories I need in your mind. The first four pieces of armor, the belt, The breastplate, the shoes, and the shield fall under the category of what we'll call lifestyle. Lifestyle. Uh, uh, That is, these are habits, these are virtues, these are character traits that we practice, that we work out in our daily lives, that they give us strength. They They fortify us in spiritual warfare. And the final two pieces of armor, the helmet and the sword, they fall under the category of gift. That is, these pieces of armor are gifts given to us by God to to ground us as we engage in the fight against the devil. And so those are the two categories, lifestyle and gift. And so let's look at verses 14 through 16 to find out what kind of lifestyle, how can we live to give us strength to resist the devil? And in verse 14, Paul introduces us to our first two pieces of armor. So look there with me. He writes, stand therefore, how, how do you stand? having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, in combat, a Roman soldier, they would wear this thick uh, uh, leather belt that kind of looked like an apron. It kind of hung down uh, and it hung underneath the armor. Actually, you wouldn't be able to see it from this picture. And it protected his lower abdomen and thighs. And and the breastplate was this heavy duty metal covering that protected like the internal organs, like the chest, uh, uh, the lungs, the heart, the stomach. And so both of these pieces of armor, uh, the, the belt of truth and the breastplate, uh, they played a huge important role in battle. You didn't leave home without them. <laughs> you didn't go into war without these pieces on yourself. Okay, so we know how the belt and the breastplate work for a Roman soldier. But now the question becomes, what does it mean to put on the belt of truth, right? And the breastplate of righteousness for the Christian. What does it mean? Well, for the belt, Paul has already used that word truth. That word truth, multiple times in this letter to the Ephesians. And when you want to know what a passage means, it's good to go say, okay, where did he use this word elsewhere? Okay, and when he does, when he uses this word truth in the book of Ephesians, he references either the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, that is the true and good news of Jesus dying and rising for sinners, or that's one way he uses it, gospel, or he uses the word to describe speaking 
telling the truth. And if he were in this room, I don't think he'd want us to choose. He wouldn't want to say choose this or choose that. So that when he writes, fasten on the belt of truth, he's saying, students, to stand against the devil, you must live a life of embracing the gospel as true and stop lying. <laughs> stop lying and tell the truth. Believe the gospel is true and let it change you so that you stop lying. And so that's the first piece of armor, practicing a lifestyle of truth telling as a person changed by the gospel. And when we do this, that's when we put on the belt of truth. Paul says, in that way, we're less susceptible. We're less vulnerable to the plots and traps of the devil. So quickly after becoming a Christian at 18, I started uh, serving as a youth uh, leader for middle schoolers. Uh, I was just so passionate. Uh, uh, the youth pastor would give me opportunities to teach. And while I truly loved Jesus, like I love Jesus, and I wanted to tell students about him. At that time, I was struggling with sexual sin that I kept hidden from everybody else. And uh, I remember one night in particular, I was teaching the middle schoolers a message on telling the truth. And I was living a lie. And I'm, and I'm telling you, the shame and the guilt and, and the feeling of being a total imposter, it just, it just wrecked my soul. And it gave the devil an opportunity to create all sorts of doubt uh, and disbelief in my heart. So, so listen, nothing will weaken and corrode in your faith quite like a habit of telling lies. Because when we lie to our parents, when we lie to our teachers and friends and whoever else, it gives the devil this opportunity to fill you with guilt and discouragement and shame that then makes you keep lying. It's a vicious cycle. But if we, we grasp what Paul wants us to do, that we're fully forgiven. We are truly cleansed from all our lies, all our unrighteousness by the blood of Jesus. We are like when God sees us on the day of judgment, he's going to say you are guiltless and blameless by the blood of Jesus. And we live with integrity. So if you embrace the gospel as true and you live like with integrity and you are who you say you are in private and public, that thing protects you. I mean, you are a person who can face the devil when you are putting on the belt of truth. Now, while the belt of truth impresses upon us to believe the gospel and live with integrity, the breastplate of righteousness, it's more expansive. It's a, it's a bigger idea. Uh, it carries the idea of not just being truthful, but it's a call to reflect, to embody God's character as a whole, like all of who he is. So to put on righteousness then is to seek to be like God, to seek to be like God as he revealed himself to us in Jesus. So to be like Jesus in his love, to be like Jesus in his patience, in his grace, in his mercy, in his faithfulness. Put another way, when we put on righteousness, we put on Christ. We put on Jesus. Uh, he becomes our primary role model. He, he, we want to be like him in every way. Not a celebrity, not a famous athlete, not anybody else. Jesus, we put him on. And, and to get even more clear on what it means to put on righteousness, we just need to think about what it means to put on unrighteousness to put on unrighteousness so in scripture we have these lists um, you'll find them throughout the bible that describe what i'll say the unrighteous life and on those lists you'll find things like this this is a list bitter fights and fits of jealousy anger wrath 
malice, slander, dirty, nasty talk, sexual immorality, drunkenness. And, and as you consider those items, I want you to think about your life. Are you constantly filled with anger? Are you filled with bitterness toward your parents or siblings or classmates? Are you joking with people uh, about things that dishonor God? Are you giving in to sexual sin and lust and clicking images and looking at things you shouldn't look? Put simply, are you not putting on Christ, but putting on unrighteousness? So, so the first two pieces of armor then, they describe a lifestyle of truth-telling and righteous living. Truth-telling and righteous living. Now, the next two pieces of armor come in verses 15 through 16. Uh, but we're going to cover the boots in verse 15 first. Look there with me. Paul writes, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Now, the shoes of a Roman soldier, uh, they were often kind of leather uh, strapped half boot uh, type of a shoe. It allowed them to move quickly and travel long distances as they marched to battle. And that's why in the case of God's armor, Paul connects the boots to this idea of readiness, to be ready. Um, and note that it says a readiness that comes from where? That comes from the gospel of peace. Put another way, according to Paul, the gospel of peace, again, that is the good news of how Jesus died and bore the sin of the world, rose again so that we can have this restored relationship with God, this peace with God, no more hostility. Uh, that good news, it fills us with this, this joy and this excitement so that we're just itching, that we're just chomping at the bit to share it. We want to share it. We're ready to share it. Uh, my wife, Tiffany, she was sitting in the doctor's office about four months ago. Um, she was on her phone looking over results from some testing she recently did. Um, at the time, she was getting some heart issues checked out, and so she was getting a lot of testing done. And one of the tests that she had to do just happened to be a pregnancy test. Now, we weren't planning for another baby right now. We literally almost had a baby every year at this point in the past three years. Uh, so we were not planning for a baby. So when she's like going through, oh, yeah, positive positive she's like shocked she's starting to smile she's in there for heart issues her heart start pop her start, start starts palpitating so she's like freaking out she's just overwhelmed and once she recovered from the shell shock she was eager she was excited she was ready to share the good news about our new baby boy we didn't know at the time with me and that's what paul is saying that the gospel of peace that good news about jesus it does that for us like if you've been changed by what Jesus has done for you, if he's changed your life, it fills you with this excitement, this joy, this readiness. You're just eager to announce it. You want to tell the news to the world. And so to put on the boots of readiness, it's to be gospel sharing people, gospel sharing people. Now, the fourth piece of armor comes in verse 16. Paul writes, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And the shield mentioned here uh, was not like the small round ones you might see, but it was a large four foot by two foot door like shield. So those paintings are four foot by three foot. So imagine four foot by two foot. Those things were big, big shields. 
Uh, it was made of wood and leather, and then it was reinforced with metal. And then in war, as you've probably seen in Lord of the Rings, right, uh, the enemy often shot, shot arrows, uh, and they had like, they dipped it in tar, and they lit that arrow on fire, and they would shoot it. Um, and so what the Roman soldiers would do, they would take these big shields, and they would soak them in water. They'd soak them in water uh, so that when the arrows came, they wouldn't catch flame. Uh, but with the armor of God, the shield of faith, refers to uh, uh, not a, a real shield or uh, or material shield. It refers to a deep and abiding trust in Jesus. That's how Paul uses that word faith. It's a commitment to believe what Jesus says is true. Uh, what believe Jesus says to do, we do. It's to trust him as reliable and trustworthy. Therefore, to take up the shield of faith is to trust Jesus over everyone and everything else in your life. He is the sole person you will give your absolute undivided heart and trust to. It's to entrust all your hope, all your dreams, all your life to Christ. Your faith is in Jesus. And Paul says, like a Roman Roman soldier's shield, this faith in Jesus will keep you safe. It'll keep you secure from the accusations, the temptations, the fire arrows of the devil. So when he tempts us saying, I'll give you the world, right? Like he does Jesus. I'll give you the world. I'll give you kingdoms and glory and fun. Just worship me. We say, I already have everything in Jesus. (laughs) You can't give me anything that I don't already have. When he accuses us saying you're dirty and worthless and you're never going to change, we respond, Jesus died for me while yet I was a sinner. (laughs) When I was a sinner, he died for me. When he lies saying God's word isn't true, we say, just wait till he comes back (laughs) and then you'll see. So then in verses 14 through 16, Paul says that if we are truth telling, righteous living, gospel sharing, Jesus trusting folks, we won't fall. If you don't want to abandon your faith in Jesus, that's what you put on those four pieces of armor. You're not going to turn away from God. But that's not all. There's even more to the armor of God. And this is an important insight. This list, it just feels like it goes on and on and on forever. Uh, belt, breastplate, shoe, shield, and so on. And that's intentional. He, Paul wants us to feel like, man, this is a long list. I got everything I need. I got everything I need to fight against the devil. So while the first four pieces focused on the lifestyle that strengthens us. The final two pieces, the helmet and the sword, they emphasize the gifts, the gifts that ground us, that give us this unbreakable foundation to stand on. So Joe, go ahead and look at verse 17 with me. Paul writes, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So for a Roman soldier, the helmet would have likely been made of bronze, Uh, And it had the cheek guards to protect the head and face as much as possible. And the sword was, it was short and it was super sharp. So it wasn't for like a long distance. It was like when you got up and close, up and close and nasty and personal kind of fighting, uh, close combat. Now for the Christian, the helmet of salvation, salvation, it refers to the present reality, the present reality right now of how God has already saved us. 
He's already saved us. And uh, again, when you want to figure out like, okay, what does this word salvation mean when Paul uses it here? Well, you're just like, well, where did he use it elsewhere? Well, if you look up the word salvation or to be saved, the verb, you'll find it earlier in the letter in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. And this is one of the richest, most glorious, gospel-centered passages in the Bible. It's amazing. Paul here is going to describe how you got saved. If you love Jesus and have faith in Jesus, this is your story right here. He writes this, and look at your papers. It's in the cross-reference. And you were dead. That's you, all of you and me, in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. That's the devil. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived. In the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we're by nature children of wrath, as we were destined for punishment, like the rest of mankind. But here's these amazing words. But God, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Here it is. By grace, you have been saved. That's the word. And he raised us up with him, Jesus, and seated us with him, Jesus, in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Hear it again. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So then. When we put on the, the helmet of salvation, then we're embracing the reality that God has saved us. I called my friend uh, just uh, recently. I, I was leaving the gym and I was like, friend, I'm saved. <laughs> that, I'm saved. My life is set. Everything's going to be okay. Did you know that I'm saved? I'm delivered. Not because of anything I did, uh, but because... He's rich in mercy because he loves me with a great love. He loves you with a great love and he's full of mercy. And now by faith in Jesus, he has promised to show immeasurable grace and kindness, right? Oceans and oceans and oceans of goodness and favor and grace upon us for all of eternity. And that's what it means to put on the helmet of salvation. It's to walk in that truth, live that truth, know that God and his great mercy and his love, he raised me from the dead and I'm going to have all of eternity in peace and harmony with him. I have my future set. And finally, for the last piece of heavenly armor, we have the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Uh, this is the second gift God has given His people. He has not only rescued, delivered, saved us, but He's also equipped us with His Word. Like God given, gave us scripture and in scripture we have him revealing himself to us, telling us what he's like, what he's done, what he's going to do. We learn about who God is in his word and it leads us to truth and wisdom and directs our life and gives us hope for all of his promises. So then, in sum, when we walk in truth and righteousness, when we share the gospel and live by faith in Jesus as we fully embrace the gifts of salvation and God's word, this is how the man or woman of God will not fall in the face of evil. Now that completes the set of God's divine armor, but Paul doesn't stop there. In verse 18, he names one more, one more thing that enables 
that empower us to stand against the devil. In verse 18, Paul writes, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. And it's really kind of interesting. Paul appoints prayer as an all-important part of spiritual warfare. And I think, in fact, it seems that Paul intentionally, he intentionally did not connect it to any piece of armor, not any one piece of armor. He's doing that to show us that prayer permeates everything. Prayer is the oxygen to the Christian life. Prayer can't be apart from you at all at any time. Prayer is the final foundation, you could say, for spiritual warfare. Uh, So this past Thursday, I was talking with my sister Amy, and she was telling me about how just recently, Steve Ertl, if you guys know Steve, awesome man, God, he was told her a story of a woman uh, who never gave up praying for someone who had deeply hurt her. So this woman, uh, this man deeply hurt her, and he, she was just praying for him and praying for him, and eventually she saw that man come to faith in Jesus and say, say sorry to her and apologize and reconcile. And Steve's point, this is what Steve's point in telling that story was to encourage Amy to never give up. Don't give up on anybody. Don't give up on anybody. Pray for them. And then out of nowhere, (laughs) the person she's praying for texts her. And you know what he says? (laughs) It's really weird, but you keep popping up in my dreams. She's like, hold on, wait, I don't want to hear it. No, he's like, not like that. It's like that. It's just really weird. I can't explain their dreams. They're so weird, but you keep popping up in them. And, and, and my sister tells him, well, that's interesting because for the past few weeks, I've been really praying for you. And then on this past Tuesday night, he calls her crying, sobbing, saying, I feel like I'm dead already. I feel sad and stuck and trapped. And with her boots of readiness on, <laughs> on her feet, my sister began sharing the gospel with him, explaining how she once felt dead, too. But Jesus has now given her life and she urged him saying, turn away from evil. She even used that word, turn away from evil, turn away from drugs and drunkenness and trust in Jesus. She said, you will have life too. Students, never underestimate the power of persistent prayer. It has the power to break chains, knock down walls and open hearts to hear the life changing good news of Jesus Christ. And and so when we put on the lifestyle that strengthens us and we embrace the gifts that ground us, let us always at the same time constantly be praying and praying and praying for God to overcome evil in in our own lives and in the lives of others. And, And students, when we put on the full armor of God, you will not end up on the hall of shame. That is, you will not be the student that I see who loves Jesus now and then in the future turn your back on him. But you must put on the full armor of God. It's not optional. It's, it's, not, a, it's not something you could do and be a Christian and not do. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray that you would enable us, strengthen us, give us the ability to put on the armor of God. Help us change certain lifestyle habits of sinfulness and uh, change our desires. Help us desire what's good and true and pure and noble. Show us how sin leads to death and corruption and disease. And Lord, give us life in your son. Please, Father. Uh, we can't do it in our own. So I pray, Father, you would take this word and you would multiply its fruitfulness in all of our lives that we would truly be put on the forearm of God so we might stand against the devil and see you with joy at the end of the age. We praise in Jesus' name. Amen.